You are listening to Season 2, Episode 4. Hello and welcome to What Leaders Know. It's the podcast for people on leadership journeys. I'm your host, Penny Beeston. I help leaders take their career to the next level. Find out more at whatleadersknow.com. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Today, my guest is Mitra Hakbaz, and her journey to leadership is unique, filled with challenges and passion, and I'm so pleased to share it with you today. Mitra's journey began way back in her birth country of Iran as a youth activist responding to the political challenges of the time. Mitra's desire was to study chemistry at uni, but her political affiliations denied her access, which led her down a very different but very interesting career pathway. Today we will learn more about that journey. I met Mitra in 2015 and I'm in awe of her capacity to quickly conceptualise complex issues impacting on displaced and disenfranchised people, and her talent for translating these issues into a narrative that humanises the issue and opens up the conversation. This is powerful when leading local solutions in the international NGO space. Mitra is currently the Deputy CEO of Host International, an NGO whose work across a number of Asia-Pacific nations is to make life better for displaced people and communities, by supporting collaborative innovations that see people work together to create better lives. Mitra completed tertiary studies in management and business at Azad University in Iran before moving to Australia. She had to wait six long years for her Australian residency status, but as soon as she was eligible, she enrolled in the University of Queensland and completed her Master's in Applied Linguistics, a post-grad diploma in Social Planning and Community Development, and a Master of Social Administration. Mitra has overcome unique challenges to grow a very successful leadership career. We can all learn something from her experience. Welcome, Mitra. Thank you, Penny. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Mitra, I ask each of my guests in Season 2 of What Leaders Know this question. How has leadership changed you? Thank you for having me here, Penny. It's really a privilege to be here with you. Talking about leadership, may I just start by acknowledging my place on this land. As a migrant to this land, I recognize my contribution to the continuum colonization and the benefit that I have on this land. So I like to start by acknowledging traditional owners of land and pay my respect to elders past and present and recommit to my journey in ensuring true reconciliation and committing to playing my part in that journey. As we talk about leadership journey, I find it really interesting to call myself a leader. I find it challenging. I find it confronting. I find it inspiring as well. Inspiring to be a better leader as I go through my journey and being inspired by amazing leader like yourself. Maybe I just think about what has shaped my leadership. Think about the influence factors. I start by amazing, strong women in my uh, like, you know, lineage ancestry. My mother, as one of the strongest women that I know, someone that has been really influential with her ability to forgive, with her ability to love, and with her ability to participate and break the barriers. My aunts that have lived through amazing experience, despite being married in young age, have really reclaimed their strengths and have been able to raise children 
and give their children the freedom to choose. Coming from a cultural heritage that really puts a lot of expectation on women and they're getting married in the young age, having that freedom to choose has been really significant in my sort of like collective family. So that has really shaped me about knowing that I have been given opportunities and I need to use that. And I have been given gifts that I need to be able to make the best of it. I also like to think about all those people that have believed in me, have given me opportunity. As a migrant to this country, coming with very little English and really not knowing what to do, that has been an interesting journey. And as you started with your introduction, I have a whole different vision for my life. Life experiences led me to a different path. When I wasn't able to go to university, that was so rightfully mine. And then having to find a way and having people, including my parents, telling me, don't worry, there is other opportunities. And then being gifted with the opportunity to work in a disability sector and learning on the job, which with my political history, even that was a miracle and was a great gift. And then being given that opportunity as a young person to really find myself being given management responsibility. I don't think I would have called it leadership then, but I think as I grow and I just think more about my journey, think about all those learning factors. And then coming to Australia on a very uncertain visa at the time that Australia had much more compassionate immigration policy, having the chance to live with my family here who have come as refugee, but being able to think about actually I'm safe here, there is other pathway for me when that access to refugee visa is so limited for many, many people. So I had that access to look at other pathways and other opportunities. So I applied for residency here through my family. And uh, as you said, it took a long, long time. And finally, I was offered that privilege to live in this country permanently. And I see my responsibility to continue to contribute and have impact where I can. Mitra, there's such richness in your response, and I want to unpack that further. How has your lived experience shaped and informed your leadership in the multicultural refugee and displaced people space? Thanks, Penny. That's a really good question. I wasn't ever recognised as a refugee, so I applied for what was then known as a special need relative. And if you had a family that really needed you, that was a type of visa, which for me really was a window to the compassion way of like managing and providing opportunities to people. I really find that unique. I think maybe I'm one of the few people that have ever, ever accessed that visa and I find that such an amazing way. As I said, I didn't need to go through a refugee status because that option was available to me. But that waiting and not having access to opportunities, I was still very young being able to study was, I think, really important to me, and I wasn't able to do that. Didn't have the resources to pay international student fees then. Not knowing what happens next, that uncertainty, it's really challenging. And as we know, it's the experience of many people living that journey of finding safety and security, that not knowing what's next. And being able to just walk on that journey and know that there are many ways of support and many resources in the community and in the shape of great leaders amongst people you engage has been really comforting. And I think when you go through that journey, sometimes it's very difficult to see that. But when you look back, you can just see all those influencers in your journey. And for me, it has been about 
How do I bring it to my practice? And as uh, you mentioned, I have the privilege of working in this space, have almost always worked in this space across diversity, settlement, multiculturalism, and all of that has been shaping my leadership and my passion for ensuring that everyone has the same access to opportunities. Mitra, you waited six long years for your Australian residency status. I imagine that was a setback to your career. How has this experience informed your understanding of the challenges faced by communities who are resettled in Australia? It's a really good question, Penny. As I reflect back, I think like, you know, maybe as I was going through that journey, for me, it was only individual experience of uncertainty, not knowing what happens. Can I make a plan? Not being able to study. I mean, like, you know, when you're eating, it's having to pay for the study as international students, not having the resources to be able to do that. It seemed like it was going forever. However, as I look back, I just think about the privileges I had in that time, having the safety and security of my family that have provided me that protection, that safety, which I recognize a lot of people don't have, both in Australia, but also seeking safety and protection. So I think how it has shaped me has given me an ability to recognize my privilege. That's a very key element of my leadership. While I recognize the challenges as a young person then, not having a lot of English, learning about the culture, the environment, the opportunity, having the insecurity of like, you know, what's next. But now when I look back, I just think about actually how much privileges I had, that opportunity to learn, not to have to worry about something else, but being able to just embrace the number of you know, things that I could access without uh, having to put a lot of resources in. Children around me that have helped me to learn the language. Opportunities that have led me to what career path I took. And maybe that was a driver for me choosing the sector because it made complete sense to be able to give back and to share, but also learn through that journey. That has been really significant for me. Do you think that you chose the sector or do you think the sector chose you? (laughs) I think a bit of both. I think being relatively new, and I I always use this, ignorance is bliss, not knowing your own limitation, but wanting to learn, wanting to be part of something and being really inspired by amazing leaders, leaders that have put their name in front of a vision and pushed that through. I remember my very first professional job working in a community project with some really amazing people finding more about my own community and the challenges they have faced settling in Brisbane, which then lead to the next step of my career. And all along the way, I had many amazing leaders who have helped me to just step into the next opportunity or have recognized something in me and have helped me. One thing that I always reflect and still today really impacts on me is the reflection of other people. There are many amazing migrant women I know I have come across. And when they tell me that I inspire them because of my career or my leadership journey, it really challenges me because I know many of them are smarter than me, but the life experiences and life journeys are different. I have a lot more to offer. For me, then as a single person, not having responsibility of children, having the protection of my family has given me a lot more opportunities than a lot of other people in our community are able to access. So that has been a driver for me to just constantly recognize 
the position of privilege. And recognizing that privilege shapes who I am and being able to tap to that keeps me grounded. Mitra, in your response, I hear that humility that is so much a part of who you are. And I'm really keen at the end of this conversation to talk more about how you mentor young women who are in that space and and how they're looking to you for community in that journey to leadership. And now I want to uh, take you to 2013 when you were awarded a Churchill Fellowship and your focus in doing that fellowship vulnerable refugee women who were at risk of unemployment and lack of economic independence. Can you talk about your findings and how this influenced your work with refugee communities? I was very lucky to have the opportunity to be part of the Churchill Fellowship and a community of the fellows that have really inspired me and have stayed as a constant connection. So That has been truly a gift, a gift in my leadership, a gift in my journey and a gift in developing my understanding of the issues faced by women. And I think in this case, I have focused on refugee women, refugee women with multiple vulnerability. That was, it was a great journey to be able to look at things inside out, have the opportunity to learn about practices, framework approaches happening in other places looking at the ways that different communities respond to that and listening to the journeys of the women. I started my journey in 2014 and went to eight countries and then have a look at the settlement approaches in different places and how there is that rehabilitation to allowing people to fulfill their aspiration in life, providing opportunities for women to really regain economic independence. And that has been always a driver in my practice. Part of that is because of my personal journey, part of that because of my experience and understanding of my mother's journey. My mom always told me, when women have access to money, they can make decisions. They can make life better for their children. And I think that's still true. As we know, there are 80 million people displaced. Half of that population are women about 60% of our young people. There is a significant attention that needs to go into providing equal access for women and girls to have opportunities to really, really reclaim their strengths, being able to fully participate, have access to resources that enables them to have better pathway in their lives and opportunities. So what I learned through that is that there is a lot of strengths in people. And I think it has also shaped how I think about my practice, which is about facilitating participation, allowing people to be part of the decision making, having the voice into intervention strategies that we put in place, sharing power and participatory model of like power sharing that allows everyone around that table to be included into the processes that's about their lives, rather than having the expert syndrome of thinking I've got all the solutions. And by nature, I'm not a patient person, but I think I would say patience is the third P of my leadership pillar. And part of that has been learning that I need to be patient and reflecting and allowing myself time to reflect and to learn and to listen and to bring those learning and listening into my practice and trusting the processes. I think that's the maybe fourth P, trusting the processes, processes that enables 
participation, processes that allows voice. When we started to talk leadership, I said it's very challenging for me to think of myself as a leader. And you refer to mentoring. I really think part of that is that participatory model. I think I'm being as much mentored by young people that are in my life as I maybe just provide that support to them. It's that uh, reciprocity that's really important and that ability to be able to really be equal around the process and around the decision making around enabling engagement. Often people who are still early in their leadership journey approach leadership learning as something separate to themselves, almost like a process. When I engage with you, an experienced leader with the depth of lived experience, it's clear that your leadership journey is lifelong. What would you say to other women who have settled in Australia who are starting out on their own leadership journeys? Earlier on, we referred to the challenges of leadership. And I think for me on my journey, it has been about recognising that's a process and that's a learning journey. I would say I'm not a born leader. I have learned a lot of skills. I have learned to be challenged. And I think for me in particular has been about recognizing my own response to some of those challenges. As a person with English as my second language, as someone that has learned English after settling in Australia, I have noticed in myself that sometimes I let that become a barrier for me. Not because of how I feel about that, but sometimes because I think about how other people see me or how other people view me. And it took a bit of journey to step away from that and to recognize that actually the only thing that I have control over is my own commitment, my commitment to leadership and developing better leadership quality that allows other people participation. And I've got that gift in my career. And as I said earlier, I have been very privileged through different careers, have worked with amazing leaders, but also have been given opportunity to play in that leadership role. And either in my past roles or my current role, have the opportunity to bring that to a cultural context and give myself time to understand the context and be able to work with the key people in that space to transition those approaches to what's really appropriate and what's work and be open to be challenged, be open to learn. And I think that's one of the key learnings for me in the sense of leadership journey. That's a constant learning process and constant awareness and developing stories that really shapes you. Mitra, you were an executive with an established multicultural organisation for many years and you made a significant leadership career pivot that now sees you in the role of Deputy CEO of Host International. For listeners on their own leadership journeys, can you share your drivers for this pivot? I left a very respected, a very loved organisation about three years ago without having a clear plan. I think like, you know, as I went through that journey, I just thought, okay, I have done what I have done and what next? And then was offered this opportunity to work with this organization that's a a startup that has agility, that brings innovation. And I think looking from outside, it looked really great. I remember the very first conversation I had with some of the leadership in this space. It was about some of the work they do in this space of like, you know, child protection, providing opportunities for women and children 
to live in a safer environment out of immigration detention and connecting to the communities. And when I looked at it, I thought actually that speaks and that speaks about that commitment to hope, dignity and inclusion. And actually, I didn't need any more convincing. It was just like, right. I have been really inspired by the work that we do in different places. So our work is about creating community-based protection, engaging the local community, engaging people on the journey of the safety and protection, and building the bridges between the communities to come together, recognizing the strengths and skills in the community and building on that. And we do that differently in different places. But some of the work that I really cherish is about work that we do with women and children on the ground, of tapping to the opportunity that exists within their sphere of influence, building then the trust with the community to offer them land to gardening, to build that trust, you know, that building block of a good community and a good neighborhood that really cherishes every member and really doesn't matter where we do this work. It's about how do you engage with the community in that inclusive way to build those connections and relationships. You stepped into a new leadership role in an organisation that's working on the ground with displaced communities. How is this experience further influencing the way you lead? As, as I mentioned about my journey starting in this work and uh, goes back to the points that I made about leadership earlier, being patient and having the time to reflect and recognizing the privilege. The very first thing I learned was actually, rather than trying to step into the solution, trying to step back and listen. The solution does exist in the community and to allow the community and those people that know the community to really shape that solution and be part of the solution and frame it in the way that actually will work for them. And I have to say that at times, you know, I had to stop myself thinking actually, It's not my place to make that comment or make that judgment or thinking I can do it better because there is a lot of, you know, experience, a lot of skills, a lot of resources. When I started in in my role, there was a lot of good foundation in place. There was the framework that was about engaging with the local community, the framework of the sharing knowledge and resources, the framework of acknowledging people that have done this work and bringing them along and participating. So to some extent, it was easy to build those relationships. And I would describe my leadership style as a relational leadership. I really enjoy stepping into a new context and making the contacts and getting to learn about people. However, I had to step back at times and think about, I don't have all the answers, and really recognize my place of privilege as someone that has worked in a different context, had a lot more opportunities and resources, be able to step away from that and think about there is a lot of strengths and a lot of resources and skills in the community we are engaged with and allowing that to come to forefront and shaping our work and shaping our approach. That has been an amazing learning. Can you share an example of place-based support mechanisms that are changing outcomes for displaced women and children? One of the work that currently we are involved with, which has been a great privilege, is some child protection work in um, Southeast Asia. And I think part of that has been about recognising the skill, the cultural knowledge, the tradition, 
and principles within the communities we work with and really tap to that. And then adding to that elements that are important in creating a better world for children, including challenging child marriage, including preventing children of living in poverty, preventing children of forced labor. But that happens by we cannot create those changes unless really building on the strengths of the community and starting in a place-based approach, working with the resources that exist and sharing I talked about participatory protection, sharing that responsibility, and sharing the decision-making with the communities we work with. Mitra, you're such a strong advocate for other women and girls who are resettling in Australia as a result of displacement from their lands of origin. It's one of your driving passions, and informally you support many young women on their journeys. You have a bigger vision for their futures, and I understand it's still taking shape. Can you share this narrative with our listeners? I'm sure you will touch the hearts and minds of many and find new supporters. There is a Chinese proverb that says that women hold half the sky. So in my view, women play a key role in shaping the society. This is still a concept. We have started some conversation around that and engaging with like-minded people. And the driver behind that was we live at a time that bite-sized information are really important. The platform to have a voice or platform to sharing your voice is very important. Mitra, you're such a strong advocate for other women. Have there been times in your own leadership journey where you've found it hard to find a voice at the table? I've been confronted with the fact that while I have worked in senior leadership roles, there has been a bit of challenge in transitioning and challenge about communicating my transferable skills with the wider audience. So reflecting on that, and again recognizing my place of privilege, the question was raised for me, what about women and girls that don't have that access, that are still at the start of their journey, that may not have access to mentorship or support that I have? How we as women of influence come together and help those There's a lot of amazing initiatives, amazing initiatives in business that support women in leadership. But I'd like us to take a step back from that and think about how do we shape those connections? And as I said, that's still in the very early conceptual framework, and there are amazing support around that framework. How do we come together and collectively find solutions to our questions? How do we create the connection? And part of the driver for that was also a part of my professional journey, my personal journey. I remember walking in the market, a Sunday market in my neighborhood, and was uh, harassed by a young woman with her child, calling me names and asking me to go back where I come from. And I'm looking at myself and I think, I don't look that different. I've got a bit of color. I haven't opened my mouth yet to speak with an accent to give her that sort of sense, but she still treated me as I don't belong. While it was very confronting, the question for me was, what's my role to make sure that child has better opportunities, learning about the diversity of people, but also learning about that actually we are all human and we can do better together. And how do we reach out 
to women and girls that don't have the same access as us, as me, the privileges I have and support I have? How do I share those opportunities? I can hear your vision for a support network to help women on these journeys is guided by your insights for participatory leadership and community-based support. This is a still old conceptual, a long way to go. There are amazing women that have said they want to be part of that. And hopefully we will be able to build our network, network of coming together and helping each other. And through that, creating a better inclusive community that doesn't shut the door on people because of how they look, because of where they live, or because of the language they speak. I know you will have touched the hearts and minds of many of our listeners, Mitra. I'll put your contact details in the show notes so people can follow up with you by email. Before we move to wrap up today's conversation, however, I wonder if you can give us another glimpse into one of the initiatives Host International is currently engaged in. Host International is relatively a new organisation starting in December 2016 as a result of responding to some of the Australian offshore policy, working with the communities in a place-based approach to find ways to thrive within the situation that they were living. I think that agility and innovation is the driver behind all the work that we do. And being a part of that journey has been really significant. There are some key elements in the work we do is about relying on the local experts, sharing knowledge. We have some really interesting programs established. I cannot claim them, but they have shaped the work like candle lighters, which is about gifting and sharing our experts with other organizations in different places, which actually provides the opportunity to build cultural sharing and learning. And uh, Little Things, which has been about funding refugee-led initiatives in the communities with resources that might be little for us, but could really enable them to do amazing work that they do. And I think some of the framework that we work within is about recognizing their leadership, their skills and passion and commitment of the individual that despite the challenges, find opportunity to make the life better for others. And I think it really gives us privilege to be in those spaces and work on that journey alongside people and be able to dream and create vision and be part of shaping that and sharing those commitment to bettering life of others. Mitra, you've taken us on your unique and diverse leadership journey, sharing personal and professional insights and wisdom. There's much for listeners to take away and reflect on in their own leadership journeys. Your examples of lifelong leadership learning, your humility and your passion for participatory leadership shine through. Thank you so much for your generous sharing today. Thank you, Penny. It has been truly a privilege to be here. And you are one of those amazing women that has mentored me, has supported me and has always believed and has given me a space to share my voice. So thank you, Penny. Such a pleasure. I will include website links for Host International and a link to Mitra's LinkedIn profile for listeners keen to learn more and become involved in this life-changing work. 
Thanks to my listeners. You'll find show notes and other leadership insights and resources on my website, whatleadersknow.com. Please join me next week in conversation with another successful and accomplished leader. I'm your host, Penny Beeston. Until then, stay safe.